Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you here on this Lord's Day as we turn our hearts toward Christmas and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thank you for worshiping through song. Now, let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline, uh, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and that's where we're going to to begin in just a moment. And as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, let me offer a warm, warm welcome to those in our contemporary service, as well as those of you who are joining on TV and online. I'm really glad you're a part of this service this morning as well. Now today I, I want to talk with you about promises. I want to talk with you about promises, and as I do, I'm reminded of a story of a young paratrooper who was getting ready to make his first solo jump from the airplane. And as he was preparing, the jump master said to him, now remember, whenever you leave the plane, I need you to count to 10, and then after you've counted to 10, pull the ripcord, the parachute will deploy, all will be well. But in the event that the parachute doesn't deploy, then you pull your secondary ripcord, your secondary chute will deploy, and all will be well. And of course, when you get to the ground, there'll be a, a truck there to pick you up and bring you back to the base. He said, okay, got it. So up they went, and he gets ready. His turn comes, and... Out of the plane he goes, as instructed, he counted to 10, and then he pulled his ripcord. And when he did, nothing happened. So he thought, okay, I know what to do next. And so he pulled the secondary ripcord. And when he did, nothing happened. And as he hurtled toward the earth, he said, great, this is just great. And I bet that truck he promised to be there won't be there either, he said. <laughs> you see, what we've all learned along life's journey is sometimes promises are made that don't come true. But I want this morning on this first Sunday as we're thinking about the birth of Christ to remind you, do you see it on your outline? It's the title of today's message. It's called Promises Made, Promises Kept. How Christmas calls us to trust God and his promises. And so write it in. It's the first big truth I want you to see today. And I think you'll see this emerge from scripture over the next few moments together. Write it in. It's on page one there of your outline. It's the first big truth. In fact, it's the big truth of the entire message. And it's this, that making and keeping promises, making and keeping promises is essential to God's character. And it's also essential to us. It's essential to a life well lived. Now, this morning, we don't have time to go through the scripture and look at every place where the word promise appears. But this past week, I think I've done that, beginning in Genesis and going all the way to Revelation. 
In the English Standard Version, you'll find the word promise or some version of it appears 160 times in 154 different verses. The first time the word promise appears is in Genesis chapter 18 when God made promises to Abraham and to Sarah. The last time the word promise appears is in 1 John near the end of the New Testament where the scripture says, and this is the promise he made to us eternal life. Of course, beyond the actual word promise, the language of promise just appears again and again and again from the start of the biblical story all the way to the very end. So I guess what I want you to take away today is this, to really understand who God is and to know him and to follow him is to know that he is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And the Bible reveals to us those promises. But then the second thing in that first big truth is that making and keeping promises is essential for us to have a life well lived. Now, we all know this. Just think of two or three examples. We know this. Just think of it in terms of marriage. Um, whenever a couple stands in a marriage ceremony and makes promises to one another, what do we call those promises? Do you know? You know what we call them? We call them their vows. It's a special kind of promise that's made between a husband and wife. Or in a judicial setting, have you ever had to give testimony in court? I have. And when they swore me in, they made me promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. What do they call that? When you raise your right hand and put your hand on a Bible, they call it taking a what? Taking an oath. Because an oath is a special kind of promise. So in marriage, in our judicial and legal life, what about in our financial life? Has anybody here ever bought a house or bought a car or bought something else on credit and you had a loan for it? They make you sign papers, do they not? I mean, paper after paper after paper. And one of those papers is called actually a promissory note. And guess what it says? Here are the terms and conditions by which you will repay this loan. So don't you see, in our married life, in our legal life, in our financial life, promises are essential. Promises um, give just stability, structure, security to the way we live. Now, what is a promise? I put a definition on your outline to make sure we're on the same page. I think it's a pretty good one. The dictionary says a promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. So some of you are saying today, okay, pastor, I get it. You're talking about promise today, but what does that have to do with the birth of Jesus? Well, I want to show you. Look in Matthew chapter 1. It's on your outline. I've put the first couple of verses there. Do you see it? It says, now, now remember, 
These are the first words of the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. So, boy, they're important. So, look at it. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then how is Jesus introduced? The son of David, the son of Abraham. And then the long list begins. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And on and on it goes, giving us all the generations. And then when it gets to the end, look at it, verse 17, it says... So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, and then look at the very next word. What does Matthew say? After giving that genealogy, especially focused on David and Abraham, he says, now... Now that you understand the context, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So, what are we supposed to learn from that? Look at page two of your outline and write it in. We are supposed to learn that the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, and we'll celebrate in a big way here at Ingleside. I hope you're planning to be here for one of those Christmas musical presentations for Christmas Eve services. Come every chance you get. It'll be filled with joy. The birth of Jesus, the Bible teaches us, write it in, is the fulfillment, it's the fulfillment of God's promises. And whenever you begin to see that, all of a sudden, Christmas reveals even more to you and to me about the character of God. Now, some of you who've studied the Bible a while may know about the promises, the two big promises that Matthew is pointing us toward. If you are newer to Ingleside or newer to the Bible or you just haven't read the Old Testament much, you may not know what promises Christmas fulfills. Let me give them to you real quickly. Here's number one. It's a promise that God made to David and it was made about 1000 BC, give or take a few years. That's when David was on the throne as king. It's in 2 Samuel, look at it. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him and he'll be uh, to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, for as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And then here's the promise, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, some of this promise to David was fulfilled in Solomon. His immediate son who sat on the throne, who built the temple. And when it here refers to committing iniquity and being disciplined for his sin, it's referring to Solomon. But it reaches, this promise does, all the way to the coming of Christ. And Matthew wanted us to know, we need to know today, 
that when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment through the line of David of this promise made a thousand years before his coming. But that's not the only promise Matthew is pointing us to. The second is a promise to Abraham. When was it made? Write it in. It was made about 2000 B.C., give or take a few years. That's when Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees and the Lord called him. So look again real quickly at the promise. The Lord says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's the promise. And in you... And in other places in Genesis, it will say, and in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we read the New Testament, guess what we come to understand? That that promise made to Abraham 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus was fulfilled in Christ, the Messiah, and all who trust him from any family on the earth. Every tribe, tongue, kindred, language will experience God's forgiveness and eternal life. It's the reason why, do you see it on your outline, that speaking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whose birth that we celebrate, the Apostle Paul wrote, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. In other words... All of God's promises in the Old Testament are pointing toward Christ and his coming. And our celebration of Christmas is the celebration of a promise made and a promise kept. We serve a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. So now why, why might some people refuse to have confidence in God and his promises. I think the Bible points us toward two answers to that question. Uh, and maybe one of these applies to you. The first reason some people refuse to have confidence in God and his promises, write it in, is because they don't understand his timing. Because they don't understand his timing. Now, the Apostle Peter addresses this in 2 Peter, a little book of the New Testament, chapter 3. Look at it. It says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Now, scoffing is to have an unbelieving, sort of cynical, skeptical, objectionable attitude toward God. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. It tells you what's usually behind the scoffing. Oftentimes the reason a person rejects God and his promises, his will and his ways is because that person wants to follow their own sinful desires. They don't want God to be able to direct their lives. Notice then what verse 4 says. Those scoffers will say, look at this. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, they're saying, 
I don't believe God's promises are ever going to come true. It's been so long since God promised. I'm not sure it will ever happen. And here we are, 2,000 years after the time of Christ, some of God's promises, like the return of Christ, have never come true yet. And so some people, like in Peter's day, will say, I just don't think it will ever happen. But notice how Peter responds. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, when you put it in that perspective, how long has it been since the Lord made that first promise to Abraham? Oh, about four days. That's all it's been. And so all of a sudden, Peter says, our sense of timing is not like the Lord's timing. But then he tells us why the delay is happening. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Here it is, watch. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, the Bible says, listen, The reason God is delaying the return of Christ in the end of the age is so that we can repent and believe his promise and trust and follow him. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come, it will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so listen, you may be today like some who say, you know, I'm not just sure I can believe the promise that Jesus will come again. It's been so long. Well, a lot of people have thought that along the way. But God says, trust my timing. Trust my promise. Believe the promise I have made to you because I'm a promise-keeping God. With me, promises made are promises kept. There's a second reason, though, and this one sort of treads on tender ground. There's a second reason why some have difficulty in believing God's promises. And it's because at the human level, at the relationship level, sometimes even at the family level or marriage level, someone they trusted broke their promise to them. And as a result, they felt betrayed, they felt hurt, they felt wounded, they felt devalued. And somewhere deep within, they said, you know, I'm just never going to trust again. I'm not even going to really trust God. So now if that's you today, I want to encourage you. Listen, listen. The wound, the hurt that came when a promise was broken ought to be just a reminder that we live in a fallen and broken world But above our fallenness is a grace of a good and sovereign God. 
And don't you let someone who broke their promise to you keep you from trusting the God who is ultimately trustworthy. Listen, don't you do it. You don't let that person who because of their selfishness or because of their waywardness or their brokenness who hurt you keep you from trusting God and his promises and living in all his fullness. You see, this is a reminder to me today, and I'd really like to speak especially to husbands and wives and moms and dads to encourage you today to become more and more like Jesus by making promises and keeping promises by God's grace for your own good and the good of your family and for the glory of God. I love the way one writer put it. He said, what is a family but a community of promises made and promises kept no matter what? A family is not just two or more people related by blood who happen to live under one roof. A family is not a management device by which two adults shuffle children around to the various experts who do the real rearing. A family is a community of people who dare to make a promise and care enough to keep it no matter what. A family is held together by promises. Where promises fail, families fail. And the rebirth of the family can begin only in the rebirth of promise keeping. Listen, dads. Make promises, keep promises, no matter what they cost. Oh, for your own good, for the good of your family, for the glory of God. I love what Lewis Mead says. He says, yes, somewhere people still make and keep promises. They choose not to quit when the going gets rough because they promised once to see it through. They stick to lost causes. They hold on to a love grown cold. They stay with people who have become pains in the neck. They dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises they make. I want to say to you that if you have a ship you will not desert, if you have people you will not forsake, if you have causes you will not abandon, then you are like God because our God is a promise keeping God. What a marvelous thing a promise is. When a person makes a promise, she reaches out into an unpredictable future and makes one thing predictable, and that is she will be there even when being there costs her more than she wants to pay. And when a person makes a promise, he stretches himself out into circumstances that no one can control and controls at least one thing. And that one thing is he'll be there no matter what the circumstances turn out to be. With one simple word of promise, a person creates an island of certainty in a sea of uncertainty. And God calls you and me this Christmas to be promise makers, promise keepers for his glory and for the good of those we love. Now listen, 
I want to know if you know the answer to this. Is there anyone among us who has always made and kept promises perfectly? What is the answer to that question? No. And if you said yes, you just lied and there you go. We all have had good intentions that we didn't follow through on. Sometimes we've made little promises that we were unable or unwilling to keep. And some of us, some of us have made big promises that we failed to keep. So what do you do? You turn toward the one who's the ultimate promise keeper. You turn toward Jesus. And you say, Lord Jesus, I need you to forgive my brokenness, my sin, my failure. Would you restore me? Would you renew me? And then, Lord, by your grace, help me become a person of integrity, a promise keeper. You know, as some of you hear our discussion of promise today, your mind's going to go back to about 1990 when a football coach named Bill McCartney since the need to begin to help men live with integrity all across this country and God blessed it and a movement was born. Do you know what the movement was called? Anybody here remember what it was called? It was called Promise Keepers. And it was just a way that God used to call men and their families, particularly men, to make and keep promises. I want to do that this Christmas as well. The last truth I want to highlight for you today is, write it in on your outline, is that we are called this Christmas to have faith, which is trust or confidence in the promises of God. Do you see it? It's in Romans chapter 4. Paul says, Describing Abraham, the exemplar of faith, he says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so what is faith? One way the Bible describes it is simply trust or confidence in God and his promises. So what are some of the promises you and I can hang our hat on this Christmas. I began to make a list and I just ran out of room on your outline, so I've just given you a handful. The Bible says if you and I repent of our sins and trust and follow Jesus, look at it. Number one, God has promised that we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. That's in John 3:16. Number two, God has promised that we will never experience his wrath or condemnation. Romans 8 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number three, God has promised that if we're in Christ, all our sins have been forgiven, big and little. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Number four, God has promised to give us the wisdom, the strength, the grace we need to live for his glory now. Number five, God has promised that we are secure in his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And God has promised 
to prepare a place in heaven for us and to come again and to take us to be there with him. And I don't know about you, but by God's grace, through faith, I intend to stand on these promises. We serve, Christmas ought to remind us that we serve a promise-making and promise-keeping God. You know, when I was a little boy, my parents took me to church and I learned words of hymns. And so this week as I was preparing this message about promises, there was an old hymn that kept coming to mind. Some of you will know it. It says, standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. I love the second verse. It says, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. So what about you? this Christmas. Are you willing to trust God's promises to stand on them and then to live them out in trust and obedience every day? You know, I've really been praying this week that this would be a Sunday when some would say, you know what, Pastor Tim, you were speaking to me. God was speaking to me through his word today. And I need to trust his promises. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You pray along with me. And you trust our promise-making, promise-keeping God this Christmas. He's trustworthy. Give him all your life. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for reminding us in the coming of Christ that you're a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Lord, I want to pray that as we live, you would help us be promise keepers, filled with integrity. Forgive us when we fail. Help us renew commitments that will honor you. And Lord, right now, I pray for some who are listening who need to say, oh God, please forgive my sin. I'm sorry for it. I want to put my trust in you now, O oh Lord. And I receive Jesus, your son, as my Savior. And I trust his promise of eternal life for me. Lord, thank you that you hear and that you answer and you transform us by your grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.